0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires
1: downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA member FDIC. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope you're doing well today. I have a great episode lined up for you. But before we get started, I just wanted to mention a little bit about my latest leadership book, All in the Same Boat. I hope you've had a chance to purchase the book and read through some of the chapters. One of the chapters that's getting a lot of attention is called Earn Your Oxygen. You know, in that chapter, I talk about the Navy's rigorous qualification process. When you arrived on the boat, they basically gave you this large qualification card, and you had to get all these signatures and get qualified on every watch station. You had to prove yourself to the captain and crew before you could ever stand watch. And a big part of that learning was standing these under-instruction watches where you stood watch with a more senior, in my case, more senior officer. But one of the biggest parts of that learning was actually failing. Our captain put us in situations where we could fail in a controlled environment. And he knew that failure was an emotional and an important teacher. You know, nobody likes to fail, and when you have a failure and you don't do something right, you always remember it, and you learn those lessons. What's interesting in business, though, is that we're always too busy to allow time for failure, especially when new, with new employees. We give the tough tasks to our senior employees so we know there won't be any chance for failure. The problem is, when we do that, we don't give those junior employees a chance to learn and gain experience. Well, this happened to me on Friday. It was the end of the day, And we had one last pallet of product that we needed to move to the scale, weigh it, and shrink wrap it before we were done and wrapped up for the day. Of course, I instinctively asked my most senior employee to do the job so there wouldn't be any mistakes and we could go home on time on Friday. Fortunately, though, he pushed back at me. He told me that this would be a good chance for our most junior employee to do this important job while we both watched over him and monitored him and made sure he did it right. As it turned out, the new employee did a great job and he gained some experience under pressure, and I learned a powerful lesson. Even as a leadership expert, I still make mistakes. I failed to give the new guy a chance to learn, and that failure was a powerful lesson on me as well. You know, leadership is all about learning and getting better. And books like mine like This All in the Same Boat are ones that can help you get better. There's a ton of stories in that book and each one of those stories will, will help you think about your leadership journey and where where you need to make improvements in your own journey. So if you want to hear some more stories like this one and there's a ton in this book, so head on over to allinthesameboatbook.com to purchase A signed copy, or you can go to Amazon and purchase either the paperback or the Kindle version. And as I mentioned before, the Audible version is in the works and that should be available uh, in the next few months. Now, if you've already purchased a book and uh, you really enjoy it, please go to Amazon and leave a review. Why is that important? Well, every review helps me get the word out. Uh, And so we are trying to get uh, as many people to be aware of this book, and one way that happens, or one way we can make that happen, is through reviews. Uh, and if you're looking to support what I do on the show, all you got to do is purchase one of my books on my website or visit one of my sponsors, bottomguncoffee.com and Hi, I Have ihavethewatch.com. Both use the discount code DEEP at checkout. Well, that's it. Today, my guest is Dr. Bill Berman. Bill is a licensed board-certified psychologist and CEO of Berman Leadership Development. He's also the co-author of a new leadership book called Influence and Impact. In this episode, Bill and I talk about the importance of influence in the role of a leader. This is an episode that will make you think differently about your role as a leader in your organization. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Bill Berman. Bill is the CEO of Berman Leadership Development, a company that helps leaders develop the core skills they need to create breakthrough results. He's the author of a new book that's just about to come out called Influence and Impact, which provides an easy-to-follow, common-sense approach to building influence in any level of the organization. As John Maxwell reminds us, leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less, So I'm excited to have Bill on the show to talk about the subject of influence. So, Bill, welcome.
0: Thanks. I'm thrilled to be here, John.
1: First of all, let's uh, talk about your company, Berman Leadership Development. What do you do and what kind of companies do you normally work with?
0: So Berman Leadership Development is a uh, bespoke uh, leadership development company that focuses on executive coaching, assessment for development and selection, and team building, uh, and onboarding. Those are the four areas that we really focus on. And um, we've been doing this for 15 years. And to be honest, it started with just me. There wasn't a plan to build a big business. Um, It was really Berman and Associates. And um, I continued to to do this. I worked with uh, consumer products. I worked with pharmaceuticals. I work with financial services, I work with information services and publishing, and over time it's just really grown organically. Um, And and we're now, we've got a a pretty big cadre of other coaches that work with me, uh, and I consider them my colleagues, not my employees. And I've got a team of really great people working for me uh, who are helping to make all this happen.
1: Oh, that's great. I mean, 15 years, that's something to be proud of. I mean, uh, you know, in terms of growing and and especially organically, like you mentioned,
0: I love what I do and I'm going to keep doing it every day. That's great. That's awesome.
1: So what um, you know, what would you say makes Berman uh, leadership development so unique? What's your specialty? What what do what do your customers say that you offer that other people don't?
0: That's a really good question. Uh, there are a lot of coaches out there. It's a pretty saturated market these days. There are a lot of ways for people to pick this as a second career and to get into it through training and both online and in-person training. Um, what When I made the transition from the software company I was working for to executive coaching, I had a coach. And that coach asked me, what do you really like doing? And I said, I really like helping people do better. Mm. He said, "Well, what about executive coaching?" That was in 2004. I didn't know what it was. And he said, "You've got the advantage of you have both a deep psychology background and you have business experience, line management experience." He said, "That's an unusual combination. Most mm. people have one or the other." He said, "I think that'll differentiate you in the market." And it really has. I think it's made a huge difference because I can both empathize with what leaders are going through when they're having to make tough decisions, and at the same time, I can understand them on different levels of both psychology and and, uh, organizations. Hmm. And What I've tried to do over that time is when I bring in new coaches uh, and I onboard them, I look for people who have some kind of business experience and some kind of psychological background. Mm. So um, what differentiates us, number one, uh, is that sort of blend of business and psychology understanding. And number two, I really, for the most part, only work with very experienced coaches. I try not to do work with early coaches, except in a very much a training and development sort of framework. Um, but if I'm, if I'm called to coach a C-suite executive or a general manager of a $600 million business, I'm not going to give them somebody who's been doing this for four years. I'm going to find somebody who does it for 20 years, who has been in business, who understands those challenges.
1: Now, that makes sense. It's interesting as I have run this podcast, I've met so many people in the psychology business that are in the leadership space. And, you know, as I talk about a lot is that leadership is a people business and who better to understand people than folks like yourself who 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 understand, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like you said, you have a blend of both experience actually running, you know, running a department, having people work for you and the psychology background, and I think that's an interesting combination, but it's it's amazing to me how many people from the psychology world have entered the leadership space.
0: You know, there's a large group of psychologists that feel like it's enough to know about leadership, and there has been in industrial organizational psychology and in organization development a lot of research done on what good leaders are versus not great leaders, mm. um, And so we do know a fair amount of what makes for good leadership in different contexts, because there's not one type of leadership that's right for all situations. But fundamentally, the language of business of, sorry, the language of business is finance. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand the finances of this, at least at a superficial level, and if you don't understand the, the business at an organizational level, you're going to struggle with helping people pick the right leadership style for the right situation.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense.
0: And you're, gonna, and you're also going to have trouble getting senior leaders to trust you because if they start talking to you about uh, their gross margin and needing to change that, and you look at them with a blank stare, they're not going to value your judgment. It, yeah. it's, you may be really good at leadership, but you don't really understand the context that they're working in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're going to talk about influence here, but if you if you can't speak the language of the people that you're trying to influence, you're out of luck, right? So you have to speak the language of which a general manager, a CEO, a C-suite executive will be thinking about what, what keeps them up at night. What are the and what are those subject matters that are that are important to him? And if you can't speak that, you can't relate and you can't influence. So that's a that's an important part of influence as well.
0: Absolutely, yeah. the one of the fundamental themes in the book. Um, is the notion of, I don't call it this in the book because it's, it's, it, it, this is my academic head coming in. <laughs> it's organizational agility. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to adapt to the organization that you're in because organizations have very strong cultures. And the bigger the organization, the older the organization, the stronger the culture. Mm-hmm. And just like if I move to Japan, and I don't adapt to the way that culture operates, I'm going to have a real hard time having influence with the people that are around me. And by the same token, if I move into a company, I'm going to have a hard time having influence if I don't understand how they work on a day-to-day basis and don't in some way adhere to those norms.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've seen it before where you have, somebody like you hire from the outside and they come from a very unique and special culture. And then they come into your business, which is a unique and special culture. And there's, it, 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 something doesn't work there. There's, it doesn't fit because they're used to doing things a certain way and you do things differently in your organization. Um, you know, we, we uh, I, I had an opportunity where I combined three businesses into one building in, at one time. And, mm-hmm. I re- and what I realized was, is that, my existing business, plus the two that we brought into the business, they all had three unique cultures. And I was blending those three cultures together. And there were great things in each culture. And I wanted us to take the best of all to become this, but it it was harder than I expected. So it was much harder than I expected because everybody was sort of, well, that's not the way we did it over here, you know? And so it was hard to, to blend those cultures together. And uh, so I, I, I I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: John, that's probably one of the hardest tasks an executive can have is is blending the cultures of different organizations. Um, people have written about that for years. Uh, Who moved my cheese is probably the best.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs>
0: um, but it's it's that's really tough. And that's the job of an ex- uh, CEO, really, or general manager is to create the culture that people work in.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't want to throw out the you don't want to throw out the good that existed in those other cultures. And that was what was hard was to try to say, these guys are really good at safety. We had to bring that kind of idea into our organization. These people are really intimate with their customers. We need to bring that in. And we were really good at being efficient. And, you know, so like, okay these are great things that we do. How do we how do we get the best of the best? And it was really much more difficult than I thought it would be. So (laughs) I'll I'll bet. So you have a new book that's coming out and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. You've got a co-author, uh, George Bratt. It's called Influence and Impact, Discover and Excel at what your organization needs from you the most. So let's just start off with the basics. Um, what is influence in your definition and why is it so important in leadership?
0: John, that's a great question. The You know, we all have a job to do. We're given a job and we have to do it. And the first thing you have to do is do that job. And to some extent, that's enough. When you're early in your career, as long as you're doing what's the right thing to do, what your boss needs you to do, you're okay. But as you move up in an organization, that gets more and more complicated. And there's Mm -hmm. not just one person. There are a lot of people. And in today's, in the way companies are organized these days, a lot of times the people you depend on or the people who depend on you don't necessarily report to you or aren't accountable to you. And so what you need to do is convince them to work with you and to do things for you. Sometimes it's as simple as getting them to respond to an email. That's true. Uh, because they get, people are inundated with emails these days. And so we're looking for, you're looking for a way to get other people to pay attention to you. I hear the phrase over and over again in senior leaders, I want a seat at the table. Mm. Well, and you, in, in our opinion, mine and George, you get that seat at the table uh, by doing three things. It's by knowing yourself really well. It's by knowing your job, exact, not just what the job is. But what the key priorities are for your boss, for your boss's boss, for your partners, for your colleagues, and for your customers, and making sure that you're focused on the absolutely right thing to do. Most jobs, number one, it's easy to get overwhelmed by all the different things you have to do. And when that happens, you tend to fall into patterns. You tend to do what you used to do. You tend to do what you feel like you're best at or you get excited and you start trying to do other people's jobs Mm. or you get arrogant and you start trying to do your boss's job. And every time you're doing something other than your own job, you're taking away from your own influence.
1: Mm.
0: And it doesn't, it's not like you Mm. sit around and say, Oh, I'm going to do what I used to do, but it just kind of happens. And, and it's one of the reasons why people, um, stall or have trouble moving up. You know, a lot of times the boss would, I, if I ask a manager, if the guy doesn't change at all, are they going to be okay in this job today? And they'll say, yeah, they'll be fine. This, you know, they'll keep doing this job, but they're not going to move up. Hmm. So if you want to move up, if you want more authority, you want more impact on the organization, you have to be able to, number one, build that understanding of your job. Second one we already talked about, which is understanding the culture and adapting to that mm-hmm. culture. And that's, that's really important. You've got to be able to understand how people operate on a day-to-day basis. And that's things like, how do they communicate? How do they dress? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get decisions made? Um, who has authority and control over decisions? Um, where does money come from? How do you actually get things done? You know this, you've led your own businesses. There are both formal and informal channels for getting work done. Oh yeah, yeah. And knowing that culture and understanding that culture makes a big difference. And the third part, of course, is knowing yourself. Right. Because people can find themselves in a job where they like the job and don't like the culture or the culture doesn't fit with their values or the job doesn't fit with their strengths. And if those things don't match, it's gonna be, it doesn't mean you can't succeed, but it's not gonna be as enjoyable. It's not gonna give you, it's not gonna mm. spark joy, right? Right, right. Um to borrow from Marie Kondo. Right. Um, and we we all want our jobs to spark joy right, on the, right. right.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's important. I uh one thing you said that really stood out to me um is. The kind of jobs that some people have where they don't have a lot of direct reports, but they have uh, have to influence the organization. I think of um, like a safety or environmental manager or a or, or a quality manager. I was a quality manager early in my career. I had a small quality department, but we had a very large manufacturing plant and I had to influence the organization about quality. But I didn't have the people that really affected quality didn't report to me, right? They were the production employees. Yeah. They reported to the production manager. Yeah. So it was truly an art of influence because uh, I couldn't just you know, directly tell people what to do. I had to work through the various channels. I had to work with supply chain management, with suppliers, with the production teams and the production employees, the testing department. So all these things, I found myself it was a, it was all about influence. It was all about, cause I didn't have any authority. I just could use, right. use my words. And, and, but I thought, I think you really touched on it. You, I had to know the organization, how it ticked, who had the authority, how, how, the right messaging to be able to get people to be interested in what I was trying to say. Um, so, yeah, it was those, there are certain roles in organizations that are, I would say difficult because you don't have you know, the large team reporting to you. It's all about that influence and how well you are doing that.
0: So, if I was your coach, I would ask you, so how do you expand that? How do you make that even more impactful? Yeah. What's, What's particularly working for you in that? Yeah, yeah. And how do you pursue that?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's absolutely the key. And I've seen this happen, by the way, at the most senior levels of organizations. I had one company I worked for where they had multiple lines of business And but the sales organization was centralized. And Mm. so they were matrix managed to each of the lines of business. Yeah. And so if they didn't like the general manager of one line of business, they just have to focus on selling it. Oh yeah. Yeah. So your whole business was dependent on the quality of the relationships and the quality of your connection with the people
1: around you. Absolutely. I mean, as a general manager in a big company, I've always had a shared uh, sales force and we always talked about, I have to win their mindshare. I have to get them interested in selling my products because they can easily sell someone else's products. How do I gain their mindshare, gain their interest to keep them? So yeah, I guess it was a a, a game of influence and in how do I you know, keep their attention span and get them excited about selling what I do? In fact, even in my company today, I have sales reps, independent sales reps around the country, and they they represent you know somewhere you know ten to twenty different product lines. Well, how do I get them excited about selling what I what I have? Right, it's exactly. it's influence, right? I Absolutely. you know I, in in how I how I connect with them and how they feel they feel excited about being connected with me and doing you know what I would like them to do. So yeah, right. it's it it is a game of of influence. I never really thought about it that way, but yeah.
0: Totally a game of influence, you know. And there's different types of influence. There's that extroverted influence where you're like, "Hail fellow, well met," kind of right. Right. There was a the former president of uh, New York Life Insurance was a guy named John Kim, and I remember years ago uh, I was talking to a colleague, and he was saying to me, "You know what I want is what John Kim does." He'll sit in a meeting with 20 people and people will be arguing about things and and talking to each other. And when there's a lull in the conversation, John will say, well, you know, I hear what you're saying and I hear what you're saying. But if you look at it this way, Mm. you're going to see a different solution. And half the people in the room immediately go, damn, I wish I thought of that. (laughs) Yeah, he just you know, he wasn't the CEO at the time. He wasn't the president. Um, he was a general manager and but but he just had that impact uh, his timing, his insights, his thoughtfulness, his ability to listen mm. uh, all played into that ability to have that kind of to influence everybody and have an impact on the organization
1: mm. and I think probably over time um, people looked to him to help connect the dots you know and, and so he ended up getting probably more influence as he built that reputation of being a listener and a connector and a uh, and to be able to put together, you know, be able to see a see a connection between different ideas and different concepts
0: that and doing his job, being successful and being good at what what he made him present.
1: Yeah. Wow. It's incredible. You know, um, so you were talking as we got started. um, So, you know, as, as a leader, Sometimes we might find ourselves where maybe our our ability to sway others goes away, where our words and actions don't carry the weight that it used to used to. What happens sometimes with leaders? And we t- you touched on a little bit about getting comfortable and sticking to maybe things that were. So, what happens when we start, you know, losing that influence? What's typically happening with leaders like that?
0: So there are lots of different permutations of it, but basically leaders do one of three things they do what's comfortable Mm. Mm -hmm. they do what gives them power what they wish they had so power and authority or they do what's easy
1: Mm. yeah
0: and it's one of those three things so they either go back so i've heard the phrase referred to somebody as this person never met a detail they didn't like Mm, or this person uh, has never left the job. They just keep adding new ones. And so there are all these ways that people, for example, um, and I refer to it as mowing the lawn. It's really easy. We sometimes will go and mow the lawn because it's a discrete task. We know how to do it. We know how long it takes. And there's a nice result afterwards. Right. Right. And whether it's cleaning the house or or mowing the lawn or raking the leaves or whatever, it's really fun to do that and see the product. And when you're a senior executive, there's very little that you do where you immediately see the result of what you're doing. Right.
1: Very true.
0: So you have a tendency to fall back into those things. And if you do too much of that, you're becoming a micromanager. You're doing other people's jobs. You're not delegating sufficiently uh, and you're not uh, defining what your priorities are and and one of the questions I can consistently ask my clients is what are the parts of your job that only you can do mm-hmm. and to focus on that because the other things you should be delegating mm-hmm. um, the other side is that sometimes you start to feel your oats you start to feel good you think you're doing great and you want to start running great guns and that's when you start taking on other people's jobs or taking on your boss's job and you're going to ruin relationships faster by trying to do somebody else's job for them or trying to tell somebody else how to do their job when they don't want that advice mm. you're going to lose those relationships faster than you can blink mm. it just it, nobody wants to hear what you have to say nobody wants you telling them how to do your job People barely want their bosses to tell them how to do their job. Right,
1: right. They don't yeah. want
0: their colleagues telling them how to do their job. Yeah, so it's or taking it on. Um, so it's you really. Uh, those are the those are the ways you derail. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. One ping only, please. As I thought, John Rennie's new book. All in the Same Boat is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember, be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets.
1: Bottom Gun is owned and operated by U.S. submarine veterans, and no one knows coffee better than the men and women who serve long hours keeping watch under the sea. Bottom Gun Coffee Company has a variety of coffee blends designed to keep you moving. From Ahab's Revenge Extremely Strong Coffee to their morning blend, Bottom Gun purchases only premium, certified, organic coffee beans from all over the world to create the finest-tasting coffee you will ever experience. Bottom Gun is offering a discount to the listeners of Deep Leadership – Go to BottomGunCoffee.com and enter the discount code DEEP at checkout. Bottom Gun Coffee, the taste that's qualified.
0: It's not always, you know, it's not always black and white. It's not like you've completely lost it. Right. You just, it's just sort of waned a bit. People aren't paying attention to you. You're not going to the same meetings, that sort of stuff.
1: Right. You feel it, right. You feel something has happened. Something has changed. I'm not, over time, I'm not having the same influence I used to have in the organization. Yeah. I think that especially, you know, as an older employee, you know, when I was young and, you know, It was a young gun, you know, people were interested in what's 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 Rennie got to say about this, you know, as I got older, you know, I was sort of a fixture in the company. And that's one of the reasons why I left and went to another company because I felt I was way too comfortable and everybody saw me as a certain way and it was getting out of that organization into a fresh organization was to have a different level of influence to reset, if you will. Um, And so that's kind of what I was going to talk to you about is like, how do you, when you find yourself into that situation where <clears throat> you're not having the influence you used to have, right, you talk about going back and trying to understand understand your strengths and then trying to match them to the needs of the organization. And so talk about that process in terms of how do how do leaders you know, go back and, and, and evaluate themselves and, and, and evaluate the needs of the organization or their, their bosses, what's that process like? And how does that help you in terms of improving your influence in an organization?
0: So it varies to some degree based on how, where you are in your career. So if you're in your, if you're early in your career, the first, say, 10 years, um, and that I'm making that, that's arbitrary. Right. Um, you probably may not know what your strengths are, and, or you may have some idea about it, but it's really good to go out and test that. Mm-hmm. And you can and ask your colleagues, ask your boss, ask your friends, ask your family, what do you think I'm really good at? Um, sometimes I'll have people say, um, answer the, the uh, STEM, Bill is really good at blank. Or, I really like working with Bill because, and you have it, um, you have them answer that question. And so you build up that knowledge. If you've been in business for 15, 20 years, you've gotten a ton of feedback. You've gotten 360s done on you, you've had uh, leadership development programs that you've been in, you've had bosses who have given you feedback. And when I do a coaching engagement with senior leaders, I would say 80% of the time they're not surprised by the feedback I give them. Mm. They may be uncomfortable with it. They may not right. like it, but they know it. So it's really taking uh taking a step back and taking a broad, brutally honest look at who you are and what you do well. And that'll tell you what your strengths are. Human beings as a group tend to focus on what they do wrong.
1: Mm.
0: And they you know, and because we want to fix things and we want to get better at those things. And it makes sense to spend some time on that. But people are successful because of their strengths, not because of, of fix, making weaknesses get better. They, excel, they super excel at a couple of things that make them stand out from the rest of the crowd. So you really mm-hmm. need to know what your strengths are. Sometimes I'll ask people, what's your superpower? Mm, um, mm. But you need to know what those are, and most people know what they are, and that's what you need to play to.
1: <clears throat> you know, you uh, there's a uh, uh, Scott Adams, the guy that does the Dilbert mm-hmm. cartoons. He oh. talks about in one of his books. He talked about talent stack, and I, I kind of, I, I really think that that's an important part, especially as you're developing your career. Every person has a unique set of experiences that make them. Uh, they they develop different uh, experiences and different skill sets, and each person brings a unique talent stack to their job. And so, in the case, in my case, I you know we were talking earlier. I was a nuclear submariner who came you know with a with an engineering background with with a you know I was actually a nuclear engineer in the navy. Came into the workforce, and I in, initially was in engineering. I was in quality. And then they needed somebody to run a plant that made parts for nuclear power plants. Well, they're like, well, which talent stack, which, which leader do we have in an organization with a talent stack that's unique for this particular role? And I was the perfect fit because of my engineering, my quality, um, the nuclear engineering side of it. So I think part of looking at your strengths, I would imagine, is looking at your unique set of skills and talents that make you, you, right? It's your experiences that make, make you especially unique and not just, well, he's good with people. Well, a lot of people are good with people, but what does that really mean? So what is, yeah. it, what is, what is unique about you as a leader what, in terms of your strength?
0: And, you know, if you were, you were a mechanical engineer, you're clearly very good at math. You can't d- do mechanical engineering if you're not good at math. And that's to some degree a talent. You're born with that ability. Um, right. I I just can't do math the way my neither of my kids, both of whom are scientists, uh, I can't do math the way they do math. Um, but you also have to have a lot of experience working with it and honing it. You know, Malcolm Gladwell right. talks about that ten thousand yes. hour yes. thing, and that's really true. You know, you you have a talent, but you have to develop it, and. By the way, we also, you know, there are degrees of talent. So don't assume that I either have the talent or I don't. Um, Carol Dweck talks about a growth mindset and mm-hmm. it's being able to work on something, to practice something, to really drill into it and get really good at it, um, is, it it's a matter of taking what you're decent at and and really actualizing that, making that really substantial. And that's what we mean when we talk about focusing on your strengths. Right, right. But you also, by the way, have to focus on your values. Mm. You know, it's this is particularly important these days. We're seeing um, the younger generation seems to care a lot about their values, things like environmental sensitivity and equity and all those things. And you've got to be clear about what your values are and make sure that the company that you work for at least supports those values if they don't share those values. You have to, the you can't work in an organization where you just feel like they're doing the wrong things or doing the, the wrong things for the wrong reasons. So that knowing your values is also important in this process.
1: I like that. I like that a lot. You talk about um, in the book, you're going to talk about uh, when this thing comes out, you say that there's once you kind of do understand your strengths, and you understand the needs of the organization, you may identify new skills that you need to be able to uh, increase your level of influence. So, um, what are some of those skills that people find themselves needing? And then, what's the best way to approach, you know, attacking and learning those new skills and developing those skills?
0: It varies a lot depending on uh, where you are in the organization. If you're becoming a first-time manager. It's really about how do you talk to people? How do you mm-hmm. listen to people? How do you elicit the kind of performance that you want to have? How do you support strong players? How do you help develop uh, weak players? And, um, and at some point, you have to learn to, to decide that somebody's not in the right role. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that, that's a difficult skill to develop. And, and a lot of people never develop it because they don't have to. Um, but, but having gone through a couple of downsizings at the company that I worked with, um, it, I know what it takes, uh, uh, to, to let go of people when you have to. And that's an, that's another part of that learning at more senior levels. As we talked about earlier, you have to understand the language of business. Um, you have to understand what collaboration really means. You have to be able to think strategically and everybody has their own definition of strategy and that that's a black hole I don't want to go down but it's thinking bigger picture it's looking down the road it's seeing around corners so it's anticipating what's coming for things that you can't see it's a little bit like playing the difference between playing checkers and chess most people when they play checkers know what move they're going to make today you know right now when people play chess and they play it well, they're already thinking two, three, four, five moves down the road. Even, even in sports, um, we think about not just what's this pass going to be, but it's what's the whole sequence of moves that I'm going to get used to get me down the field. That makes sense. Uh, so <laughs> those, are, those are probably some of the key. Innovation, change management. Those are some of the key skills that you need as you get more senior. And learning, those are, there are a lot of different ways to do it. You can work with a coach. Uh, you can take classes. Um, most people learn, by the way, by on-the-job training, mm. by being in a position where they have to do something. And they try things. Some of them work. Most, some of, them, most of them work. Some of them don't. And you learn through experience. That's really, experience is the best teacher of all. And I'm sure you and I have both had experiences where you learned a really important sense of judgment, usually
1: by making the wrong decision. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, failure failure is a great teacher. Failure, <laughs> so great teacher. I found in my career, at least. So.
0: <clears throat> Absolutely.
1: So you also mentioned um, that, you know, when we... When we, you know, dig into our strengths, we look at the needs of the organization, um, there may be a time where we find out that we are in, in the wrong organization or we're in the wrong role, or it's time to um, maybe take our you know, take our skill sets and our strengths somewhere else. So I think as I understand the book talks about like what if what if you get to the point where you realize that maybe maybe the reason I don't have the influence I used to have is that the organization has shifted and I really am not doing what I enjoy doing. And so it might be time to you know move on to a new role. So you help people through through this book in that process. Is that correct?
0: That's correct. There's a chapter in the book Uh, called i think it's chapter six where we call it the pivot point Mm -hmm. so you've collected some data about yourself you've collected data about the job you've collected data about your stakeholders and the culture and then the question is how do i fit here is this the right place for me is this the right job for me and if fundamentally it is then you have the path that we just talked about, which is you need, may need to develop new skills. You may need to adapt differently to the culture. You're not going to get all those things exactly right. So it's not a perfect match, but you're going to work on that. But you may find out that it's just not the right fit for you. Either mm-hmm. the job isn't the right fit, the boss is not somebody you want to work for, um, and or or the organization just doesn't fit with you. And I think in those cases... The the most painful people that I've worked with, or the most painful engagements that I've had, are when people know they're not in the right job and still try to stay there and right, try right. to that, and they're not listening to themselves and their organization and saying, "Okay, what do we need to do to fix this?"
1: <clears throat> yeah,
0: and they're either trying and it doesn't work, or they're trying and they're unhappy, or they're not trying. So it's at that point, you know. If you're if you feel like you're not in the right job, you may be able to engage with your manager. George talked about employees that he's had where it wasn't a great fit and he's helped them find better fit because his his job isn't to punish them. He's he's not throwing people away. He wants them to be successful. And if they can't be successful in his organization, he's interested in helping them find um, another organization where they can be successful. Now, I'm not naive. There are definitely bosses who, if you went to them and said, gee, I don't think I fit here, they'd be like, "Okay, goodbye. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, So you got to use some judgment about whether you talk to your boss about it. But you can start to look around in your organization. You've got a ton of data now that you've collected. What will be a good fit for you? So, you know, for you, um, imagine that you got to a general management job and either you didn't like having to make the kind of tough decisions you needed to make or the, the executive that you worked for was just a horrible micromanager. You might decide, you know what, I'm going back to an engineering type job. I'm going back to a quality job because I know I can do that well. And I know I love it. And it makes me feel good to go to work every day. So you could have done the same. It sounds like you were between a combination of talents, luck, and skill.
1: Right. Right.
0: Um, You did really well. Um, and that's that's the ideal. Uh, but that doesn't always happen for people.
1: No, you're right. And and I would say this in my career, I saw the, the first major company I worked for. I saw the culture shift over time. You know, I was there 15 oh. years and it used to be a very entrepreneurial organization where general managers had a lot of authority. They had. Um, we had we had the responsibility and authority to run our businesses as yeah. we saw fit, and over time we became more corporate. All the directives came from above. We weren't allowed to make any decisions. We couldn't hire and fire. We couldn't we couldn't do raises. We, you know we couldn't do bonuses. Everything was taken away from us. All our authority was stripped from us. And I found myself not having the influence I used to have. I had I could control my own businesses, and and what I found over time is I, I lost my influence by by the culture shifting in the company to a more of a top-down company so my decision was to leave it was my time to go somewhere else where I could apply that you know get that influence back again that I used to have and so I would just encourage anyone who's listening to it is you may be doing everything right and then the company culture shifts from underneath you and you lose your influence not by anything you've done differently or or wrong it's just that the company has shifted. It might be time to go when you find yourself in those uh, positions.
0: Absolutely. But you can also imagine someone who's in a position where they've, their are mortgaged, they've got kids in college. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're in a situation where they think, I can't rock the boat.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So, and, and they're scared and they're yeah. scared for a good reason. And that's where people really struggle, I think, yeah, yeah. is when, when they feel sort of stuck or feel like, there's no way out. Yeah, and yeah. what I would tell most people is there's there's ways out more often than you
1: think. There, I was going to say there's there's always a way out. I think uh, you know you, you've been around a long time. I've been around a while, so you know there's always opportunities. There's always you know, and it may not be uh, it may not be obvious, but you you'll end up finding great opportunities, especially if you find yourself where you're not happy and you're and you feel stuck it's best to start looking and, and get, get those ideas because there is life outside of whatever situation you're in. So that's, right. and that's what i found in my time. And, you know, eventually I got fed up with corporate life and I started my own company. Cause I was like, I, it, cause I went to another company and the same thing happens. So I was like, well, maybe it's time for me to, you know, do it on my own. And that's, and, and that's sometimes what, what you have to do.
0: I know. So, uh, I, uh, I We were talking about this earlier and I said, so you gave up having one boss for having 20 bosses. Mm. Like, Right. When you're in your own business, everybody's your boss, right?
1: Everybody's my boss. Yeah, my I I, uh, I went from never looking at my corporate bank account to looking at it every day. So, nice. <laughs> so things changed uh, overnight. Well, this is really good. I think that you've touched on a lot of really important parts and um, we've only scratched the surface. And so this book, um, I encourage uh, the listeners to take a look at it. It's coming out on uh, June 22nd. It's called... Um, influence and impact discover and excel at what your organization needs from you the most. So Bill, how can people find out more about the book and more about your company?
0: So my website has all the information. Uh, It's got a page on the books. It's got a page on our, on me. It's got pieces on all our consultants, uh, which is www.bermanleadership.com. It's B E R M A N leadership, all one word. Um, and the book is going to be available on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble. You can, you can even buy it on our, through our site. Um, uh, we sell it in, in individual books. We sell it in bulk. Um, and, uh, we give presentations or consultations to organizations if they buy, you know, a bunch of books. Um, that's really the place to go. Okay.
1: Okay, we'll put uh, a link to that in the show notes. So, Bill, thank you very much for being on the show and sharing all of your uh, insight. And uh, I'm excited about this book. I think that um, you're touched on a lot of really important things here. And uh, I don't think that we think about influence enough uh, in our day-to-day work. So I think uh, this uh, discussion is really, hopefully, uh, it'll get people to think a little bit more about how they're influencing in their organizations and how they can get better at influencing and, and uh, or potentially may have to move someplace else where, where their influence would be better accepted, if you will. Uh, so this book is going to help you determine that, help you figure out your strengths, how, how to fit them into your company culture and uh, how to get better at influence.
0: Thanks very much, John. It's been a real pleasure talking
1: with you today. Okay, thank you, Bill.
0: For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take
1: care. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter.